the, uh, the little video that we were going to play was a story about a uh, teacher that came into a classroom one morning, one day, and um, handed everybody a sheet of paper. Uh, actually, before she handed everybody a sheet of paper, she said there's a surprise test on this given day. And uh, everybody was a little surprised and a little shocked. And then she handed everybody a piece of paper upside down and um, told everybody that on the flip side of the paper, there was something that they were supposed to write about. And so uh, then she told everybody that you've got however much, five minutes to write about it. And so turn your papers over and begin. Everybody flipped over their paper and was somewhat surprised to see on the other side of the paper, all they saw was a black dot in the, on the middle of the page. Uh, everybody began to write. Uh, tried stretching their imagination as far as they could, writing about whatever they could think about that would apply to what they saw on the page. Everybody handed their papers in when it was done and the uh, teacher began to read one after another, all the explanations that were given, all the details that were written about this blank page with a black dot in the middle. Every single student wrote something about the black dot. And at the end, the teacher said, all I want to do really with this is illustrate the fact that there was a huge page of white and all you saw was the one black dot in the middle. Why wouldn't you have written about all the white that was on the page? Why was everybody compelled to write about the black dot? And it went on to illustrate the fact or speak about the fact that in life it tends to be a little bit that way. We tend to focus on the black dot in the middle of the page. I don't want to speak today about the power of positive thinking, although sometime I would actually like to uh, approach that again from a biblical perspective. What I want to do with this little story really simply is um, draw significance again or draw your attention again to the fact that what you are focusing on is very pivotal when it comes to life. Now, this teacher and all the students... Um, when they handed this page, she handed this page out to all the students. Uh, had there been students that would have seen the white and written about the white and students that saw the black as there were dot and wrote about the black dot and they would have handed these papers in and people would have begin to, began to read them and you would have read the one that was talking just about the white and you would have read the one that was talking about the black dot. You would have assumed that they were talking about two completely pa different pages. When really, in actuality, they had the same page, but the only thing that was different was what they were focused on. We talked a little bit about that last Sunday already, asking the question, what are you focused on? And we read a little story about a lady who did a little exercise for her pastor, illustrating how easy it is to become consumed with or focused on the negatives that are around you, particularly in the little story that we read last week, the negatives that are in the people around you, seeing the negative aspects of the people around you. And then the little illustration uh, uh, helped us to also understand that when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we begin to not see, the, the periphery things begin to fade into kind of oblivion as we focus our eyes 
on Jesus. And we ran to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, to help us with that. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Now, during the course of the week, and as I discussed with a few different people, I realized or came to the belief that we weren't quite finished with this concept of focus and fixing your eyes on Jesus. And so we want to do a little bit more of that uh, this morning. The overall message continues to be, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, fix your eyes on Jesus. And then it says, the last half of that verse, the author and the perfecter of your faith. And so I want to ask you particularly to take note of the word faith, the perfecter of your faith. And so Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, still firmly in your mind, uh, is going to be half of our backdrop. And then the other half of the backdrop for this morning is going to be 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24. Um, it's kind of going to become our theme verse for the morning, where it says, The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Who is the author and perfecter of our faith? Jesus. Who is faithful? Jesus. Who is the one that will do it? He will. Jesus will. And so, with that kind of as our backdrop, uh, we want to speak about a few more distractions this morning, but we are going to call them faith distractions. The first one is, get ready, prayer. The first distraction from fixing your eyes on Jesus that we're going to speak about this morning is prayer. And you are sitting there and you are saying, say what? Prayer, a distraction. I mean... I thought it was always good to pray. I thought you could never pray hard enough or often enough or with too much faith. Isn't prayer the most powerful weapon that we have? How can you say that prayer can be a distraction? It's an interesting question. I want to suggest kind of two different aspects to prayer being a distraction. The first comes out of a note that was given to me last Sunday morning by someone in our church family. Uh, who heard this during a quiet time with God. Here's the note. Exactly what or who is your faith in? If your faith is in your own prayers or in someone else's, then your faith is misplaced. You'll become disillusioned or disappointed or angry or hopeless with God because your faith has been in the prayer itself, not in the complete answer, who is Jesus Christ. I hope you're with me when I say this. I hope you understand where I am going with this. Fix your eyes on Jesus because He will do it. Fix your eyes on the one who answers prayers, not on the prayers itself. I have often heard people pray, and, uh, and so have you, and I have been accused of this also, where people have wondered, does this guy think that the power of his prayer is in the volume of his voice? 
Or does this person think that the power of their prayer is using the exact right terminology? Or the exact right words? Somebody actually told me once that I should not expect God to hear and answer my prayers unless I specifically said, in the name of God, and in the name of Jesus, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Apparently, somehow, using the right words and probably in the right order would increase the power of my prayer. And I want to say today, when we mess around with stuff like that, we are being distracted. The power is not in my prayer. The power is in the one to whom I am praying. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And I'd like to pick up on the verse that Rick already read that speaks to this very clearly from Romans chapter 8. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray. Sounds pretty weak, pretty powerless. But hang on a second. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And He who searches our hearts, Jesus, knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. I, I like that. I like that. That makes me want to pray. Because I don't have to get all stressed and panic-stricken about whether or not I'm getting it all right. Because it's all getting translated before it gets to God's throne anyways. Into terminology and a language that God understands. Do not become distracted by praying. Relax and pour out your heart and your spirit to God. Let Him do the interpreting. Let Him add the right words. Let Him sort out your thoughts and put them into the kind of format that God hears and likes and answers. That's what He does. That's His job. Let Him do it. There's many people that don't pray because they feel they don't know how. They feel like they may not say it right or use the right emphasis or the right words or the right pauses and God says, don't worry about that. Just pray. The power is not in your prayer anyways. The power is in me. I will do it. I'm reminded of an older pastor who wasn't that eloquent with words, but he prayed. And one day, some younger, avid Bible school student came up to the pastor after the service and began correcting him on the use of some of his words and some of the concepts in his prayer. The pastor gently but quickly interrupted the young, avid Bible school student and said, Never mind, young man. See, I wasn't talking to you in the first place. <laughs> Amen. Exactly what or who is your faith in? Then secondly, still working on prayer as a distraction, second little aspect to that, I'm going to show you a few verses in the Old Testament where God tells his children to quit praying. Isaiah chapter 58, and I'd love for you to read the whole chapter when you have an opportunity. Um, the people felt really good about where their prayer life was at. They were very active in praying to God. They took praying very seriously, even to the point of fasting regularly, way to go, it's fantastic, in verse 2 of Isaiah 58 it says, day after day they seek me out, they seem eager to know my ways, they ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them, sounds pretty good, but is God 
impressed. Jump down to verses 6 to 9. No, this is the kind of fasting that I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer, Yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. Sometimes we need to quit praying and get to work. Quit praying and live the life that God is asking you to live. Most of the time we actually know what He wants from us. At least when it comes to the stuff that really matters to Him. He's been pretty clear with a lot of that. So don't go and get all distracted by your praying. You know what He wants? Go get to it. Sometimes. Prayer can be a distraction. Distraction number two. Worship. And I hope some of you are saying, Oh, but Darren, I love worship. And I'd like to say, Kate, back up and say that again. I love worship. Do you love to worship? Or do you love someone so much that you can't help but worship? Are you with me? I hope you see the difference. Fix your eyes on Jesus. There's a song written by uh, Matt Redman. I think we've sang it in our church sometimes. Certainly many of us have heard it. Uh, the song is called, I'm Coming Back to the Heart of Worship. Some of you may have read the little story that goes behind that song. Um, the pastor of Matt Redmond's church felt that they had begun, listen to this, felt that they had begun to worship, worship. And so instead of using their singing to bring glory to God, they were simply having an awesome time together worshiping. But they had forgotten what worship was really all about. And so they decided... They were actually going to shut down the sound system and all the musical instruments. They brought it right down to the basics. No show, no lights, no glamour, just their voices for one Sunday morning and even those without a sound system. And after that service, and they had worship, and after that service, Matt Redmond wrote this song. When the music fades, when all is stripped away, and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth, that will bless your heart, I'll bring you more than a song. For a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within, through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. Sometimes worship can be a distraction. I remember being in a concert 
just a few years ago, I think I was 18 at the time, a Christian band, quite popular at that time, called the Imperials. Some of you remember the Imperials? Just a few short years ago, yeah, okay, that's good. It was a great concert. It was packed. Concert hall was packed with people. It was lively. Everybody was really enjoying it. There was a ton of worship and clapping and cheering and singing. And the, and the band had recently added a new singer. He was young and charismatic and he had beautiful, long, flowing, blonde hair, kind of like somebody many of us might know. Uh, but there were still two guys from the original quartet. They were a little older. They'd seen a little more in life. And at one point when the crowd was going wild and clapping and cheering and whistling, this young charismatic lead singer, he raised his arm acknowledging the applause and drinking it in. And one of the older singers, and I'm not sure how many people saw it, but I saw it very clearly, one of the older singers walked up behind him, the original band members walked up behind him, put his hand over here and pulled the guy's arm down. It's not about us. It's not about us. This is about honoring and glorifying God. I'm not saying you should never raise your hands. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes worship can be a distraction. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Here's a third distraction I want to mention. Church. Perhaps this one's a little easier for us to agree with. Last Sunday, we already talked a little bit about the, the system, trying to get the system all right. Uh, that's not exactly where I want to go right now. Uh, I have mentioned this one book here a couple of times before, and it's called, uh, So You Don't Want to Go to Church Anymore. And I've encouraged some of you to read it, and some of you have read it, and some of you were encouraged by it, and somebody not, some of you not. Um, for me, it was a challenge, a huge challenge when I read it, and a blessing at the same time. Um, and it said something very similar to what I already said about prayer. Uh, in the book, it says this. One of the reasons why so many people are disappointed in church is that they are expecting church to do something for them that actually only God can do. He will do it. And so there are people out there that are worshiping church. And somehow their Sunday morning church attendance and maybe even some additional church involvement is going to take care of them spiritually at a level that really only God can take care of them. Now I want to be very clear. I love church. I am passionate about church. I believe church carries in it the supernatural breath of God. But at the same time, I recognize that church is very, very human. And so if you think the church can somehow replace you having an active, living relationship with Jesus, you will be disappointed in church. You are being distracted I cannot help but remember a song that used to be a, uh, I think it was kind of a kid's song. I, th I think we sang it quite a bit at camp, and, and maybe from time to time it's still sung up at camp, I'm not sure. Uh, and forgive me if I don't quite get the words right and stuff. I'm, I'm going back a little, a little ways again in my memory. And, um, but it goes something like, 
um, it, it mentions all kinds of different things um, that could let you down. And so it's, uh, your friends, they're going to let you down. Uh, your mother, she's going to let you down. Your brother, your children, your preacher, he's going to let you down. Your church, he's going to, it will let you down. And it mentions all these things that we love and we hold on to and, and view as very important in our lives. And they are very important in our lives. Uh, but then it says that every one of those things is going to let you down. And then as you move into the course, then there's something to the effect of... Uh, uh, Jesus never fails. No, 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 no. I'm not sure how many knows. No, 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 no. Jesus never fails. Jesus never fails. Jesus never lets you down. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He will do it. Fourth and last distraction. You may want to discuss this one with a few trusted people. Um, the Bible. And uh, now you're going, ah, Darren, I think you are taking this too far. And uh, by all means, I'm open to being challenged because I don't have this all down pat. Remember, just a minute ago I said, your preacher, he's going to let you down. I hope this is not one of those moments, but I'm willing to interact with you on this. In fact, maybe the fifth distraction should be preachers. <laughs> not sure. We're not going there right now. Uh, the Bible. What do I mean when I say that the Bible can be a distraction? Um, let me say it like this. Uh, this book is not God. This book is not synonymous with God. I think I've said it here before. According to 2 Timothy 3.16, God has breathed his life into it. And so it contains the supernatural life breath of God, but at the very same time, it is very human. We don't like to admit that sometimes, but it was written by humans for humans at a certain point in human history. And almost without fail, the writers, when they were writing, they did not think that they were at that very moment writing something that was throughout the generations going to be known as God's Word or the Bible. The only reason it is supernatural is because God breathed His breath of life into it. And so in a similar sense to the church, we sometimes want the Bible to be something that it is not. It is not God. And if there are grammatical errors in here, which there are, and if there are statistical errors in here, which there are, and if there are historical errors in here, which there are, and if there are scientific errors in here, which there are, that is no problem. It is no less God-breathed than if everything in here was scientifically perfect and statistically perfect. It is God's word because he breathed his life into it. And so if you are going to read it and believe that this is a science textbook, you are going to be disappointed. If you are going to read this, and although it is largely historically, it's, it's more accurate perhaps than any other history out there, but if you are going to read it and think that every detail in here is 100% historically accurate, then you're going to be disappointed or statistically accurate, then you're going to be disappointed. Don't be distracted by the Bible. 
What is your faith in? The one to whom the Bible points you. And the Bible does a super masterful job of pointing us to the one in whom we are invited to have faith. My faith is in God and his son Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And this book points me like no other book or like nothing else in the world. This book points me to him. And it encourages me to get into community that will help me and encourages, encourage me. And it points me in the direction of how God wants me to live and challenges me to live like him. Don't be distracted by what this book isn't. Oh, and then, of course, there are people that argue about this translation or that translation or this wording or that wording, and should this verse be included or should it not be included? And, and, and one original manuscript has a certain verse and one does not have a certain verse. And, and there's got to be one right translation. And they get all distracted by the Bible also because they believe the Bible is, is God. And so if the Bible is God, then there has to be only one, because God is one, because God is perfect, there has to be only one right translation or one right interpretation or one right inclusion of verse or not including of verses. Somewhere there is one that is exactly right and the emphasis is on completely the wrong thing. Don't be distracted. Don't get distracted by the Bible. And if my translation is a little different than yours, don't panic. They both do a masterful job of pointing me to Jesus and to God himself. Who or what is your faith in? Let me show you a few Bible verses in closing that speak to this whole concept. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9, kind of a, a classic when it comes to verses. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive your sins. Not the church that will forgive your sins, not the Bible that will forgive your sins, not your prayers that will forgive your sins, not your worship. He will forgive your sins. 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 3. But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Deuteronomy 7 verse 9. Know, for, know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. 2 Timothy 2 verse 13. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful for he cannot disown himself. He is God. And then our theme verse for today, 1 Thessalonians 5.24. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Amen.